So I thought we could talk tonight about this um, phrase, uh, always being, always becoming. So the phrase, I first heard it um, in a discourse by Adi Shanti. The Buddhist said that um, being is always becoming. Being is always becoming, um, which is a little different, right? It, it, it implies that, um, you know, being is in a constant state of um, manifestation. So it, it seems to have a direction to it that the phrase always being, always becoming doesn't have. There's more of a, an equivalency there, you could say. So it's a little different. Um, there's also a, a 14th century German theologian and um, mystic, really, uh, uh, Meister Eckhart, um, about this beautiful phrase that God is always begetting the only begotten. So he's not talking about a singular person. This is always begetting the only begotten. Only begotten is this, all of it, the entire unity of creation, just, you know, you know, ever refreshing, um, cataclysmically creative movement of creation, um, always begetting. So this, we have a sort of a rich history of these terms being and becoming. Um, but this phrase always being and always becoming um, seems contradictory. It seems like um, well, if something always is, what is it that it is becoming? You know, we only talk about something becoming if it isn't that already, and it's on its way towards something in that direction, but not yet arrived, right? So um, putting these two concepts together, always being, always becoming, um, almost seems like one of those um, Zen sayings that don't make any sense to our logical minds that how can something always be and always um, and is always becoming? How could both of those be true at the same time? Uh, so when we start to um, really inquire into this, the, the always becoming part is perhaps more familiar. We're, we're um, you know, just growing up in this culture, we're very familiar with the idea of, you know, self-improvement, um, you know, always working towards some future goal. Um, you know, we may not be there yet, but we're, you know, we're on our way, we're working that direction. Um, you know, the carrot is still well out in front of us and, you know, we have some kind of plan about where we think we're going. So we're, we're sort of familiar with this idea of becoming um, at least in the worldly sense. Um, and, uh, uh, but this is, um, it seems like this becoming um, also has a sense of um, worthiness tied to it. You know, we're, we um, have a self-judgment about ourselves and how, um, how well we're doing. Uh, so there's not, a, there's not only the doing, but then there's this 
sort of evaluation process that happens, whether we do it to ourselves or we think that there's some other identity entity somewhere that um, will judge us now or in the future. So, um, you know, so the sense of um, improving or um, doing is seems to be intimately tied with this idea of being judged or being, um, you know, where we're always self-evaluating whether whether we're worthy or not. And, um, you know, many of us are, are caught in the sense of unworthiness or others might be caught in the sense of, yes, surely I'm worthy. <laughs> Either one is just two sides of the same coin. Um, but they're both involved uh, self-evaluation, right? Um, so this, but the, it seems like the one thing that we never question is whether worthiness um, has anything to do with what we're talking about. We think it does. I mean, it does in, you know, maybe other areas of our life, but in um, spirituality, we never really question whether, you know, it really has anything to do with worthiness or not. Do we know? Do we know for sure? Or is it just one of those assumptions that we carry over from worldly life that somehow um, spiritual realization has something to do with uh, earning it, deserving it? It's sort of natural to believe that, but do we know that it's actually true? So we're quite familiar with this idea of, of working towards something, becoming. Um, this spiritual journey um, happens um, without some effort. Sometimes it does, and there's no rules here. So sometimes people awaken with no effort at all. They didn't even know, they, they had no interest in spirituality. And, they were getting on a bus or walking across the parking lot and, and um, suddenly they had a massive awakening. Um, it happens, right? <laughs> it's probably not something that you want to um, bet your life on. Um, the other thing that uh, it's, we, you know, some of us find ourselves in is just in just a state of, um, I don't know, high anxiety or a chaotic lifestyle or, um, uh, you know, immersed in anger or rage or fear or um, um, drama, you know, any of these powerful emotions, um, you know, are not always... <laughs> an obstacle, but often they just sap our energy to the degree that we have nothing left to really um, investigate this process. However, again, there's no rule. So for some people like um, Byron Katie, who woke up out of uh, the depths of alcoholism and Eckhart Tolle, who woke up out of suicidal depression, sometimes you sort of have to hit bottom before you're willing to um, see things in a different way. So um, uh, that's not necessary and it's um, not recommended, um, but you know, if you find yourself on 
that kind of path, that's, that's your path. You need to find your way through that. But um, for, for most of us, it's a question of um, having the desire, having the curiosity to really get at the depth of what this life is about. And that has to do with um, sort of a, a sustained willingness and a certain degree of courage, um, certainly a degree of self-honesty um, to be willing to look deeply at, at our own life. Um, so it's, it's, in some sense, it's, it's contradictory to the statement of always being, and yet here we're saying some effort um, may very well uh, be required in probably almost all cases. There's some kind of sustained effort. And um, so it's, it sounds contradictory, but that's where the always being comes in, um, that recognition of what, um, what we truly are, the discovery of that, um, which is this awareness that we pointed to earlier um, as a spacious, alive, um, aware presence. So that beingness is something that has always been there. Um, our discovery of it might happen at a particular point in time, but when that is discovered, what we recognize is that um, it, it's always been there. Right? It's almost like, how, how could I have missed it? It's so obvious once it's seen. Um, but we can you know, perhaps point to it um, just if we think back to our childhood, um, as far back as we can remember, there's always, there's always been this sense of um, me, I, being, being the one that was having whatever experience I was having. The experience itself changed throughout life as we grew up. You know, the circumstances changed, the bodies changed, everything changed, but there was always this um, sense of I, the sense of being present for at the, at the deepest level. So it's not the identity of I, but the sense of being this um, present as the, as the observer, the one who is aware. Right? We may not have thought of it in those terms, but that's the sense of it. It was always me, me going out to play, me going on my first date, me going to school, me, etc. So that sense has been continuous through our life. And I suggest it's so, um, so much, uh, not even a part of ourself, it's so essentially what we are that even when we dream at night, when we forget um, you know, about most other facts about our life. We have people in our dream that we don't know. We're in places that we've never seen before. Um, all the circumstances have changed. The one thing that hasn't changed is the sense in the dream that the circumstances in the dream are being perceived by me, right? There's always that sense of I. 
still there. So that's um, the, the continuity of that, the consistency of that um, suggests that there's something of uh, importance there. So when we take that um, and discover what that beingness actually is, um, there's the potential in this lifetime to discover it, not as a concept or an idea or belief, but as, as the living reality of being um, aware, being awareness itself as the fundamental identity of, of what we truly are. And when we discover that, we see that it's not something that we've attained. It's not a state that wasn't there at one point in our life and now is. We just discover that that's um, what we've always been. You know, we didn't, there's nothing that we could have done to earn it. Right? We, we can't earn it because it's what we are. We can't attain what we've always been. It's not something that we deserve. And other people don't. <laughs> it's not something that's uh, doled out by some divine being to some people, not to others. It's not doled out because it is um, the essence of life itself. It's not, not even an attribute of life. It is how life is lived is lived through this awareness, through this consciousness. That's how the entirety of our experience is witnessed, experienced, is, is within this field of awareness. So what we, what we come to discover is, is that which we were looking for has been there all along. Um, this is, this is quite a surprise because we keep looking elsewhere and eventually we discover what has been present all along. It's actually what's been looking, that movement to seek, to find, to desire, to want, to hope for, to long for. All of that movement is, is source itself seeking itself. So when we come upon this recognition, what we already are, um, it's an astonishing thing to discover that um, what we are is not separate in any way from the entirety of creation. Discover that, you know, although we may have grown up sensing that we were separate from everything else, from the world, from other people, um, that we discover that we could never be. We discover that um, we're an inseparable part of the one, one creation. So it's astonishing enough that there's one creation. Right? We imagine that 
there's sort of creation and then there's me separate from it, which um, when we really stop to think about it is act actually a position of arrogance to believe that somehow as a separate physical being that we are somehow um, of our own creation, somehow separate from everything else, not possible. So this is the discovery of our innate beingness, um, something that we've always been. When that, when that recognition is present, what's actually absent is that sense of separate self. The sense of separate self is how we hold ourselves back from that one creation, how we hold ourselves back from life. Um, and when that belief in our self-isolation um, gets whittled away, what's left is the recognition of what we've always been. So it's not, it's not an attainment, it's really letting go of um, all these ideas that we hold about ourselves that aren't true. And um, many, many of those ideas we're quite certain about. So when, they're, when those ideas are shattered, when those beliefs are shattered by um, life, usually, uh, it can sometimes be painful. It doesn't have to be, but it sort of depends on how tightly we're holding on to our beliefs. So it's not, these beliefs aren't something that we can sort of forcibly drop, you know, like, I'm, I just won't believe that. If we're having to forcibly drop our belief, it means that we're still holding on to it, you know. A belief that we just see isn't true, we don't have to try to drop it. It'll, it'll just drop by itself. There's, there's several things that we can notice about just this sense of beingness when we touch into this. Um, we can notice that it is already quiet, right? Like we pointed out before, the mind may or may not be quiet, but what is noticing the busy mind is already quiet. You can also notice that this awareness is already at peace. regardless of whatever circumstances may be happening. You can also notice that this um, awareness isn't judgmental. Our mind is, is often judgmental about whatever it is that we're doing, but this, this awareness is not. It's present. It doesn't flinch or turn away or reject some experience that we may be having. It's, it's there for everything. It's actually the only way that we know anything is happening. So uh, every, everything can only happen within that awareness. We might turn away from ourselves, but that awareness will be there for, for everything. 
the other sense of it is that it's already complete. It's it's not like we become more and more aware. It's not like a you know some people are more aware than other people. Um, the awareness is awareness. It's it's it, there's no gradations. There's no levels of awareness. Awareness is is just awareness. Um, it's complete in itself. It's miraculous enough in itself. What changes is the degree to which um, our mind is interjecting ideas and opinions and beliefs and um, sort of fogging up the window um, for that awareness to be um, lived transparently. So what changes is the degree um, the degree of our misunderstanding. That's, that's what evolves. So oftentimes in spirituality, you hear people talk about uh, becoming more aware. It's not the awareness that be, needs to become more aware. It's our, um, all the uh, things that we impose on awareness through things that we um, believe, all our thoughts, all our concepts, all our opinions, all our judgments, all our unforgivenesses, all our regrets, all our shames, all, all of that. That's what clouds the purity of that beingness. Okay, so that being is already as it is, it's already complete, um, it's a done deal. We may or may not know that doesn't do any good to take that on as a belief. Um, at best, it may be useful to take that on as a possibility to be discovered for oneself. It doesn't matter what anybody else says about it. Um, it only has value if it is your own discovery. Once that's discovered for yourself, no one can take it away. No one can convince you that it's not real well, other than your mind. But the actual direct experience of it is um, self-confirming. There's no, there's no doubt. The mind may come in and raise doubts and questions and wonder whether it was real or true. But we can see that as um, just an attempt by the mind to pull us back into its conceptual field, which is actually a good thing. It keeps us honest. It also tests our knowingness. If we can be pulled, pulled out of uh, awareness by the mind, um, Whatever trick the mind uses to do that is worthy of some investigation. Like, is it really true? Whatever the mind comes up with. So the mind knows us very well. It knows how to um, pull us back into its sphere of influence under its managerial wing. Okay, so let's talk about becoming. Um, so becoming... Um, in the, in the idea that we talked about before, self-improvement is different um, 
in what we're talking about now, this always becoming. Um, and whereas this beingness is already complete, fulfilled um, from the get-go, um, the becoming part is not. The becoming part is a process. Um, it's gradual. Um, and there's no end to it. There's no end point called perfection. There's always more to be seen. And the reason that there's always more to be seen is that the beingness itself is infinite. Therefore, these finite forms, these body-minds, um, as they become um, more and more um, aligned with our deeper understanding, um, gradually become clearer, but there's always more to see because we're, we're working with a, a finite form, a thoroughly conditioned finite form. So it might be that um, there's a, a glimpse, a flash of seeing where we, we, we think we've seen the entirety of it. Um, everything is so clear and uh, we want to run out and tell all our friends. And um, and then we find that there is more to be seen. There's more. It's not that this, the recognition of the, our true nature wasn't real, but the implications of that are endless. So it's almost like the, uh, the recognition can be quite sudden, but the um, it might take some time for the, the body-mind to catch up. It's almost like uh, the memo went out, but the rest of the body didn't quite get it. So it might take some time. It's, um, I mean, this is sort of a silly example, but let's say um, the uh, CEO of Exxon Oil Company um, suddenly decided that uh, he wanted the company to totally change the business model and um, go all in on solar solar energy and um, you know makes the announcement and the employees and staff and management and everything are surprised and it would take some time for the corporate culture to to shift their thinking from being a company that extracts things from the earth to something that is in the business of sustainability and you know, so it just takes some time. It's sort of like the body is like that. It's um, the recognition might be there, but uh, the implications of how that is lived uh, through the body um, will take some time. In, in Zen, they recommend um, giving it, I don't know, 10 to 15 years. <laughs> and I, I'd say that's about right. I'd say that's about right. And the risks to um, actually trying even to talk about it very much um, before then. So this is um, this process of the, the body sort of catching up um, can be uh, confusing because you know one part of us recognizes. Um, 
our infinite nature. And, and yet we might find ourselves acting in a way that is our condition that we know isn't, isn't really how we would like to be seen acting or saying things that you know come out of past patterns. And so it can be quite confusing. How can I know this and then act like this? And it's, it's almost like, how, how can both things be happening at the same time? Um, and sometimes we can uh, think that we didn't actually realize what we did because, you know, we're still getting caught up in, um, you know, old emotional patterns, for example. But uh, it, it, can be, it can be confusing like that for a while um, because it's really like, learning to function in a whole new paradigm. Yeah. You would think you could, you know, wake up to your true nature and then just act from that recognition from that point on, but it's not like that at all. Um, you know, so there's this, uh, uh, almost like a sense of duality. There's this recognition of our awareness, the spaciousness, this unconditioned beingness, and then on the other hand, we can look down and see our, our body, our form, our conditioning, our habits, our quirks, our patterns, and our limitations, the, the whole finite quantity, quality of our, of our body minds. And, and it looks like, you know, we're talking about two different things. But from the point of view of awareness, awareness doesn't have a problem with that. Our mind has a problem with that. But when we settle into um, an understanding that that um, gradual, sometimes it's called embodiment, you know, this gradual process of the, of the body-mind sort of catching up with our realization, um, now that body, when we catch on it, that that embodiment just takes time. You know, there's always, always more to see, always. Um, it's really the implications of what we've seen, how that plays out in this, in this life, and through this body-mind. Um, and that, that just takes some time. So the word embodiment, um, we need to be careful the way we use that word because it sounds like something is coming from the outside into the body. And that's, that's not the case. It's, it sounds almost like, you know, we're talking about some divine spirit, you know, entering the body. It's not that. <laughs> There's actually nothing outside. Everything is, is only one thing. So everything's within. Um, so it's not an outside anything. It's just uh, our conditioned humanness. It's the embodiment is the, um, uh, the conditioned body-mind gradually coming into alignment with what we more deeply know. And there's a sense while that's happening that um, um, there's, there's almost like a, a gap, a gap between what we know and then how we, how we are in in the world and how we how we behave, how we act. Um, and there's a gap between the two. 
And um, this process of embodiment is really closing the gap. Um, it's uh, almost like the, you know, having an elephant in the room, and the, the elephant is the gap. And uh, you know, we can sort of dance around it or ignore it, or um, but you know, eventually we have to deal with that gap, seeing through. Um, any patterning that is inconsistent with what we more deeply know. So, um, so let, let's just say if we knew for certain in our own direct experience that um, everyone is um, in essence one, one manifestation appearing in many different ways, if we knew for certain that um, as we are, um, we're okay. We're part of that one manifestation. And that we are inseparable from life as a whole, without judgment, just as is. If we knew that, With certainty for ourselves, um, what would we do? You know, how would we act? What would we say? You know, how would we treat other people? You know, how would we treat ourselves? You know, why would we get out of bed in the morning? Who would we hang out with? Would there be fear in our life? How would we view death? Would we want the world to be different? Would we want other people to be different? Would we expect other people to be other than they are? Would we fear death? So these kinds of questions, the, the answers to these would be different before we recognized our true nature, may be different after we recognized our true nature. And that's, those questions are really have to do with how we, how we show up, how we live our life. Um, and that, how we learn, um, how to move in accordance with our recognition of our innate awareness um, is this process of embodiment, is this process of becoming. So it sounds like this becoming process is, is like the, the old self-improvement process, but it's different. There's, there's a number of 
distinct differences. Whereas the um, old self-improvement process, a lot of it uh, came from a sense of lack, you know, a sense of, you know, I want things to be better, better for who, better for me. Um, so the, the movement uh, after awakening is much more out of a sense of, um, it's not out of a sense of lack at all because what we truly are has been realized. So it's much more out of a sense of um, doing things from a sense of, of uh, joy or abundance um, or gratitude or appreciation or love, those kind of movements. Um, you know, whereas before we may have been operating or being or in relationships or uh, even in, in jobs where there was a, a sense of doing it out of a sense of obligation. I ought to be doing this. I ought to have these responsibilities. And um, that sense of obligation is um, not there in the same way. It's um, out of a sense of um, out of the sense of the recognition that we all are essentially one being and how do we move with that um, so it's a it's a different sense than you know feeling obligated um, there's also not a movement that uh, comes out of a sense of fear fear of change fear of um, you know, whereas once we may have been in relationships out of uh, need or fear of leaving it, um, now we might uh, find ourselves um, free to see what's actually true. Relationships that are true will survive. Ones that are based on um, fear and insecurity, probably not. <laughs> those are those are at risk. Um, Whereas at one point there may have been uh, a resistance to um, sitting quietly, doing nothing, being alone with our own mind. Um, and maybe that showed up as excessive busyness. Um, now there might be still be activity, maybe, maybe not but it wouldn't be out of a sense of uh, avoidance, of avoiding um, being alone with our, with our own self. We're comfortable with that. Um, whereas before there might be a sense of doing things for a future goal, um, now it feels much more like um, in, in the joy of it is, is the doing rather than the goal. The goal is sure pleasurable when it happens, but there is as much joy in, in the doing um, as it happens. There's a, actually a wonderful saying by um, attributed to the Buddha that said the Dharma is good in the beginning, the Dharma is good in the middle, and the Dharma is good in the end. So the teaching at, at evolution, at becoming, um, that entire process um, is good. It's all good. So we might also, in in you know, prior to recognition of what we actually are, um, we may have engaged in uh, service to others. 
Um, but if we really look closely, many times we find that we're doing that um, to feel better about ourselves, right? Or doing it because we feel like we ought to, or we've been taught that it's the right thing to do, um, or we're doing it to gain merit. But being of, of service, um, once our true nature is recognized, has a different quality to it. It may look similar, but it's not doing it for, um, for self-gratification, basically. Uh, it's, it's, it doesn't even feel like service because you're not doing it with that intent in mind. Um, there's a need. Um, you feel to act, you act, and um, you know, without concern about outcome, you do what you feel to do as best you can do it. And um, just because that is the next obvious thing to do. And uh, so it has a different quality. It may look similar, but it has a quite a different quality to it. Um, the other thing that's different is that we don't uh, torture ourselves with uh, decisions. You know, whereas in the past it, we might have uh, engaged in, you know, the mental um, duels of pros and cons and, you know, trying our best to make the right decision, um, you know, with the recognition of what we truly are, then that movement uh, doesn't really feel like decisions anymore. It just feels like life is sort of nudging us this way or that way or suggesting this this path or that and um you know, we learn to trust those um, gentle nudges to move in that way without without uh, agonizing over the thought so our um so the mind gradually settles down not because we're trying to settle it down just because um that's what happens when um, when we cease assigning it ultimate authority. And we also see that, you know, any ultimate knowingness doesn't reside there, doesn't reside in that conceptual realm. So we don't look to the mind um, for those kind of answers. And when we've sort of pulled the plug on energizing the mind, it, it, it settles down by itself without us having to try to quiet it, it will, it will quiet down on itself. And it, it sort of falls into its um, proper place in the scheme of things. You know, when we need it, it's a wonderful tool. When it's there, we need it, it'll function well. The rest of the time, which is most of the time, uh, it'll just be there as, um, in its potentiality. But its, it's um, proper role is uh, subservient to what we know to be true. Um, so this phrase, always becoming, always being, always becoming, um, eventually um, there's a convergence, right? There's never never finished, but there's a movement towards um, where 
what we do and say and imagine is more and more in alignment with um, what we know ourselves to be. You know, so this phrase, always being, always becoming, you know, we can say, well, which is it? Which am I? Is that, am I beingness or am I just this body-mind always becoming? You know, but this is just the mind talking, you know. And the answer, of course, is yes. <laughs> That whole convergence, always being, always becoming. 